What is up, everybody, and welcome into the All NBA Podcast, part of the All City Podcast Network. Great games make for a great show, and I don't know if I have looked forward to a show as much as I am this one because we got some great games in the association last night. The in-season tournament absolutely on fire. We got a Pacers doozy down the stretch upsetting the Celtics. We got the Pelicans in Sacramento upsetting the Kings, and to help me break it all down, I've got Tim Legler with me. Legs. I'm fired up, man. I'm fired up yeah, after last night. And you should be. I, you know, the the end season we've been over it repeatedly has lived up. I think beyond lived up. And then you know yep. that's our first that's our first real taste of what this feels like as one offs, right? This is what it's all about to create the drama, feel more like the NCAA tournament, um, where in a bad night you're out, even if you're a favorite. And so we got a taste of it last night and the environment in both of those buildings. Uh, I don't think you can replicate that normally at this time of year in either of the, and those are great NBA cities, but there, it was nothing normally like it was last night. And those places were yep. insane, particularly Indianapolis, man. They, those people were off the charts last night. It was. I can't wait to talk about the crowds in particular in both places because you're right that the Pacers, that was part of the story, was that that felt, you know, that was a special moment for the Pacers in this sort of rebuild that they're in or or, or their ascension um, to being a, a, an important team in the NBA. But you're right. The in-season tournament is the story at the moment. Like, forget the games. There's a $500,000 prize legs for, for, for this tournament. I don't know if that matters. I don't know, like, how much of incentive it is, that is. These games just have stakes. And whether it's the money, whether it's the status, whether it's just this idea of, oh, these games are a little bit different, it has <laughs> – it sounds like hyperbole to say this, but it's saved the regular season. This this is the best first month of the season I think we've had in terms of intensity and meaning, and it culminated last night with two games that just both teams clearly wanted it, or you know, in, in each game clearly wanted it. The intensity was higher, the execution was higher, um, you know, it just it, the, the passion was higher. This worked with the most important goal, which was making a meaningless regular season more meaningful, and that's my biggest takeaway from yesterday. Yeah, I completely agree. Look, it's it's I I was on record in the past several years as saying that the regular season had become completely irrelevant. Yeah. Uh, the main reason for it was the the lack of importance that teams were paying to it. And that meant load management, it just meant yeah. a general approach to it. it. It you know, it never felt when I when I was playing like each of the 82 did feel equally important to you. That was just the mindset that you had. That definitely had gone by the wayside, and the league felt it. They were particularly – it was being reflected in ratings, in, you know, sponsorships being upset, you know, right. networks being upset because you're, you're, you've got these marquee matchups you're promoting and then guys aren't playing. And it was right. a big problem. And everybody just thinking, you know what, we'll worry about it when we get to March, April, and we'll try to slap it together, and then we'll have a great postseason run. And, look, the playoffs have always been amazing. Nothing can top it. Uh, maybe if you're a college basketball fan, the NCAA tournament gets the Holy Grail. But the NBA playoffs, when when the best players are playing their hardest, it does not get better than that if you love basketball. And that's always been the case, and it's always bailed out the regular season. So they came up with something to sort of be a bridge from the yeah. beginning of the season toward you get to the second half when we, and after football when we become more interesting again. And they have found it. And what I have learned through this, as someone that was a little bit critical of it in the beginning, I've learned this, man. At the end of the day, the competitiveness of a, of the professional athlete, if you put something in front of them where there is a winner at the end, no matter yeah. what it is or what the format or when you when you stage it, 
guys buy in. That's the bottom line. And they like the attention that these games are getting. They want to prove that they're the best player on the floor on that given night. So it has definitely created and it has preyed upon the competitiveness of professional basketball players. And that's why we're getting something that looks so good. But I actually think the biggest winner in this, Adam, by far, are the fans. Because the fans now are bought into a regular season environment unlike right. any other time in history. And that's what we have seen in these games. So I think they are actually the big winners in all of this. To have something like this that you're this into this early in the season, uh, they're, they're the big winners to me. And I almost wonder – we won't know this until we see this entire season play out, but I'm almost wonder if this is going to have a tail to it. And what I mean by that is the lead up to the in-season tournament has been great. Pool play has been elevated. The games last night were a whole other level of that. It goes up even more in intensity. It was one of the things we wondered about. How many minutes are guys going to play? How strategic is it? How intense is it? We got answers to those all in positive directions. And now I wonder, you know, games happen, playoff games happen in April, May, and June. And then you get through an offseason, and then you have this whole long regular season. I almost wonder if rivalries kind of die down a little bit, and it's load management, and it's this or that. I wonder if this will have a tail to it. If Pacers-Celtics match up again later on in this year, and it carries a little extra meaning, even though that game's not a tournament game, but it's a, hey, this is the team that knocked us out, and we have to send a message. So that'll be the real test of the in-season tournament is not only did it elevate November and then these game, and then the early parts of December – does it have an effect on the rivalries in January, February, March? I love it. I love the question being posed, and I, there isn't an answer. We have to wait and see. Because I, I don't even yeah. know. You're talking about having a tail into it in that regard in terms of anything that we're seeing right now, and there's a carryover effect that these teams see each other again, whatever it may be. We don't know that for sure. We don't even know, to be honest with you, if the regular season just goes back to being the regular season when it this might. is over with. Okay, Because we got – Three quarters of a season or, you know, in, in between two thirds to three quarters of a season left. This is all going to be over, you know, by the middle yeah. of December. Okay. Right. So all the hype and the anticipation and you're going to, these four teams going to Vegas, then you're going to have a championship, you know, in a prime time game. And it's going to do a huge number. There's no question in my mind. But then what? Then you've right. still got two months until the all-star break. Does it go back to that where teams maybe – more willing to give guys nights off in the regular season just kind of feels like, especially like we've talked about the dog days of the season in December, January, when it's really cold everywhere and, and guys are more likely you know, to maybe have a little bit of a letdown and adrenaline. We don't know the answer to that either. I'm, I'm, we're all curious to see. Right now, though, let's just enjoy what we're seeing and continue to talk about games in a way that we never would have for a regular season matchup this early in the year. There's no question. And we're going to get into all of the details as we always do on this show of both games. But first, I got to tell you, we are presented by DraftKings Fantasy Sports. Check out what DraftKings has to offer this season with code ALLNBA because life's more fun when you're in on the action. DraftKings, the crown is yours. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Agent eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. All right, Legs, let's get into this first game, the Celtics at the Pacers. I thought it was the better of the two games. Um, and I'm just going to start by saying this. I put this on Twitter last night. The best season as a fan is when your team wins a title, especially if it's the first ever title, as it was for my Denver Nuggets this last year. There's something special about getting it done for the first time. I think the second best season for a fan is when your young superstar player makes the leap right before your eyes. The season where they go from this guy has a lot of upside to he's one of the guys and he's proven it on the big stage. That's 
what this season has been for uh, for Pacers fans, for Tyrese Halliburton. He went from an all-star caliber player to, oh my gosh, this guy might be the cornerstone of a championship team. And last night was one of those games where he out-dueled and was the best player on the court on a team that featured Jason Tatum, Boston Celtics team that has accomplished something. The Pacers said, we're ready, at least in this environment, we are ready to compete with those guys. And on any given night, we can beat you. That's what I thought was great. And that ending, that fourth quarter close from the Pacers was toughness, belief, and just saying, we're not we're not going to just luck up and try to win this. We're going to punch first, and we're going to take big-time shots with no fear. And it was an unbelievable sequence and an unbelievable game. Yeah, listen, to your first point about Halliburton, you're absolutely right. What this is doing for him, and because this is, has generated so much interest uh, and so much hype around this yep. in-season tournament, he has now elevated himself to a national consciousness. And that yes. wasn't necessarily the case. You know, you're not watching much Indiana Pacers basketball. You might. That was his first game on TNT. That was his I first time ever that. playing on TNT. Were you a little bit shocked that this was his first triple double? I, I was a little bit surprised by yeah. that because yeah. the scoring and assists come easily for him. And he's a big guard. Yeah. So you'd think at some point yeah. 10 rebounds would have fallen in his lap. But he, he gets that in. So he's not. He's no longer just like this thing that Indiana Pacers fans and like people that really do this every day for a living like us already knew he's now right. become a national story and you yep. knock off the team that a lot of people including myself thought was going to win the whole thing the boston celtics now look they were shorthanded and we'll talk about that that was a massive loss for them last night and i'm gonna explain exactly why i think that had a huge bearing porzingis not being on the floor whatever they took advantage of that and now tyrese halliburton has elevated himself to a place not only is he a, is he a guard that you just have to see if you're an nba fan He's, there are now casual fans that know who he is. More importantly, he has now become this guy that is people are labeling as this is the guy that you got to see in the NBA. This is the most entertaining player in the NBA. That's how rapidly this has happened for Tyrese Halliburton. And so he now gets to go and, and play on an even bigger stage when they, when they go to Vegas. So that really is what this has done for him. Certain respects for the team. Look, I don't think anybody's going to get too far ahead of themselves, Adam, and say, Based now on what you've seen, you think the Pacers are going to knock off Boston or Milwaukee in a best of seven. Right. I don't think right. anybody's right. going to take that leap, but that's not what this is. That's the beauty of it. These yep. are one-offs. This is yep. on one night. Who's got the best player on the floor? And look, Tatum and Brown were both great last night. Tyrese Halliburton was the best player when he needed to be on the floor last night, and he right. took over right. that game. When the pace was totally in control of the Celtics, at halftime you're thinking, well, th this is a done deal because the Pacers can't run. They're not running, and they have 48 points. This isn't who they are. Boom, they put up 74 in the second half. It got away from Boston, and Halliburton was the main reason for that. And and you're right that, I mean, this doesn't say anything about what happens in a playoff series. Porzingis wasn't there, all that. But what it tells me that's just as important is that the Pacers have the right makeup. You know, they not being afraid, it's so underrated when a team is in that spot how you respond to those pressure moments and they got better in the clutch they got more confident the shots they took the one Halliburton took the and one the four-point play which was the biggest shot of the game that takes guts to take that shot not just skill and everything else it takes some resolve and I just thought the whole team approached that one with a we're not afraid of you you might beat us in a playoff series you might be more talented but we're not afraid we're gonna go down swinging and that's why I was so impressed with that team and it's not just Halliburton who I think 
exemplifies that. And I think it's an important piece of, of analyzing him is that he seems to be a guy that is ready for the fight. But they've got guys in Matherin and Bruce Brown. They have they have a bunch of guys that are sort of fighters, you know, for lack of a better phrase. The thing that impressed me the most about Halliburton, and it has been to, to this point in the season, he, he plays with an incredible amount of flair and entertainment value, right? Yep. But But what he does, despite playing that way, is incredibly efficient. I mean, yeah. you, you're talking about a guy, if he maintains the numbers he's averaging as, as a scorer and a playmaker and shoots this percentage, it'll be the first time in the history of the league. So that, that's that's the level that he's playing at to have all three of those categories matched. That's where he is right now. And and, and he's capable of throwing passes. And, I, and I've said this before, there's only a few guys in the league capable of making some of the passes he makes. Luka can make them. Jokic can make them. LeBron can make them. Maybe LaMelo Ball is, is close to that. That's he it. In terms, of, in terms of what you're seeing, what you're anticipating, and then having the size and vision and flair to be able to deliver the basketball the way that you have to on point, on time, and accurately. He's on a short list of guys that can do it. And he, look, last night he had 13 assists without a turnover. In a high pressure game, no turnovers. I mean, his assist to turnover on the year is five to one. You yeah. just don't see that in guys that are willing to take risks with their passing. And right. he is certainly willing to take risks with his passing. But then, look, there are other times in the game he says, you know what? Saddle up. I've got to go get right now. I've got to go get 10 points to get us back in the game. And he could do that with a floater, a drive, or his or his deep, his deep game. So just unbelievably impressive, and, and you know it's it's almost like now it's it's the coming out party for Tyrese Halliburton nationally. He's not a, he's not a, he's not a secret anymore. Like the casual fan that heard his name before didn't really know what he was about. Everybody knows now, and that's maybe the best thing to happen to the league because we're looking for who's going to fill that void eventually for entertainment value, and certain guys aren't here anymore. Well, you're looking at one of them last night. Yeah, I love that you brought up Lamelo Ball because to me these two players are very comparable. The difference is it's it's a comparing them side by side shows you how much of efficiency is shot selection and how yeah. much of great point guard play is great decision making. And both of those guys can do the high end things at similar rates. You know, LaMelo can get hot from three. He can make incredible passes and set the table. But Halliburton's a more serious player. He's a more disciplined player. He's he just he a lower mistake player and all those things. And when you cut out the bottom 20% of your game, the 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 bottom 20% of decision making, that's it's a huge difference. And that's that's why Halliburton is on such a different level than a player like LaMelo. If we go to the other side, the Celtics have been phenomenal this year. When they have their full starting five, they look unbeatable, but they don't always look great in the clutch. And, and I wonder why some of this is they don't think they put great rim protect, uh, pressure on. They like to kind of dance with the ball and, and get shots up from outside. And Tatum was having a great second half yesterday until the end of the clutch time. Settled for a handful of jumpers that were mind-boggling to me. What did you see from the Celtics in that fourth quarter that they got stuck in the mud when it didn't look like they were going to? Well, here's the thing that I noticed that Indiana executed this well. It's very hard to, to say disciplined in this approach. If you go back and look at the entire game, what they were trying to do, Rick Carlisle was determined. We are not going to allow these role players that are primarily going to be catch and shoot guys to hurt you in that way be impact players. We are going to make Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown either 
drive to the rim, get all the way there and finish. We did plenty of that. Miles Turner was lifted a lot of the game trying to guard, you know, Horford, who's a, who's a threat from out there. Um, and right. of course it would have been the same thing with Porzingis and, they, and they're like, fine, we don't want to give up these threes when we get dribble drive overreact to the paint defensively. And now they kick it out and they start playing a ball around the horn and they literally end games from the three point line. Indiana yep. is going to stay chest to chest for the most part. And then let Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have as much one-on-one space as you wanted. If that meant a step back three, take it. If that meant a mid-range pull-up, take it. If that meant drive all the way to the rim and finish, be my guest. We are not going to allow these other guys to hurt us. And if you look at when you get into the clutch and now all of a sudden you're down four, you're down five, right, with plenty right. of time. But the this is a team that is so used to that sledgehammer from the three-point line, it's almost like they, they hunt it then. Yeah. At times they don't really need to, and those – those opportunities to move the ball against the rotating defense were not there. Indiana dared those guys to do it. It's actually kind of a scary proposition for Boston going forward. If you look at it, Adam, their best two players are 27 for 49 from the field. They had 62 points. They can't play much better offensively than they did, and they still lost the game. Number one, they couldn't guard Indiana when they had to, but also I just think their offense bogs down sometimes in pressure situations when they have to have – the same type of ball movement that they rely on, they tend to just rely on two great shot makers making tough shots. I don't know that that's a way, a place to hang your hat to go win a championship. Yeah. So I think they were exposed a little bit with what Indiana pulled off against them defensively. And Indiana's not a defensive team. They just had a very basic strategy. Go ahead. Take all the space you want. Take as many shots as you want. You too. We aren't going to allow these other guys to hurt us to that extent, particularly true in the second half. And those guys took 46 of the 97 shots. So your point, your point, this bears itself out in the just the shot pro- profile. Those two guys make up roughly 50% of your shots in the entire game. And as good as they were, although I would argue 32 points on 26 shots from Jason Tatum, you know, you'll live with that. He's almost has to be a little bit better even just on his own efficiency. But to me, that strategy will work. And it worked for most of the game, but in that fourth quarter, they stopped going to the rim. And I don't know what I like after that four point play, Indiana had a four point advantage. Jason Tatum takes a quick early shot clock contested three pointer. When I'm sitting there thinking, like, what are you doing? There's still a minute something left in the game. There's not, you don't need a three here. You just need to keep putting pressure on. He was getting to the line, get to the line, go to the rim. Him and, and Jalen Brown both, I thought, when the going got tough, went to their jumpers, which is the opposite of what I think you typically would want to do there. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I also think, you know, look, you you have Drew Holiday there for a reason. Drew Holiday really was a complete non-factor in, in the second half of the game offensively. I mean, it wasn't just like he wasn't making shots. He wasn't getting shots. He wasn't included. Um, yeah. And I don't think that's a great formula for success for them. I really don't. I think he had some advantages that he, that he could have taken with his physicality to get into the paint. They only shot 12 free throws on the night, a really low number. For a team that you think is a title contender in a playoff environment type of game to only take 12 free throws, and seven of those were by Jason Tatum. So right. the rest of the roster didn't get to the line at all. Um, and right. that's got to be a big part of who they are. So you have issues certainly offensively with some of the things I'm talking about. Just too many guys weren't really included in the second yeah. half, and Indiana was willing to live with it. But then there's, a, there's other issues on the other end. Look, some of it was spectacular shot-making out of Halliburton, so I'm not talking about those. There's not much you can do 
with some of those deep step back threes off the dribble. There's not much you can do. If a guy is that, that kind of length is going right. to shoot that shot, right? And he shoots, my goodness, the arc on these shots, it's incredible how high he shoots the ball and it ends up at the bottom of the net. That's not gets what it off quick too. Weird, weird, weird shot, but it gets so it off quick. quick and it's quirky. But but Adam, that's not what cost in my, in my opinion, that's not what cost him the game. Because you go back and look at the other possessions, getting beat on a cut on a baseline out of bounds for a for an easy shot, getting beat on a baseline out of bounds for a direct pass three-pointer. Yeah. A Neesmith drives. Like that's where Porzingis is having an impact on this game. He is yeah. longer, he's more athletic, he's more active than Al Horford. He is going to be more of a presence in there. Even Buddy Heald had a couple of really important drives to the basket when he was chased off the lines. Between Neesmith and Heald, you're talking about 10 points in the yeah. fourth quarter of shots inside of 10 feet. Like That's where Boston is supposed to be different than Indiana. We're in a close game, okay, a little bit of a shootout, that's fine. Guess what? We can clamp down defensively in a way that you can't. And that's ultimately how we're going to win this game, by getting squeezes on that end. And they just couldn't do it. They weren't able to stop them on drives, on slashes, on floaters, on out-of-bounds plays, on, and on Halliburton with his spectacular shot-making. So Boston didn't have an answer down the stretch for the Indiana Pacers. When we did our deep dive on the Houston Rockets, one of the things I said, and ironically we were talking about Ime Odoka, that you can tell what a coach emphasizes by the team's profile because they'll emphasize certain things, not giving up, for in their case, not giving up corner threes, protecting the paint and the corners and allowing a certain shot profile. Okay, they clearly emphasize that. This Celtics team under Missoula clearly emphasizes three-point attempts. I mean, their three-point attempt numbers have gone up, and I think that's a recipe for regular season success. I mean, we know statistically, especially in the regular season, you outshoot your team opponents from three-point line. That's the biggest indicator of whether you're going to win a regular season game. But those types of things, the inbound play you're talking about, there's a screen and then slip to the basket, and all of a sudden you're wide open at the block, <laughs> the sweetest spot to get an inbound shot. Um that shows a lack of emphasis on certain defensive discipline, in my opinion. And this was one of the stories last year. Two years ago, they were one of the most disciplined defensive teams. Last year, not so much. And then last night, you lose the game in part because of those baseline out-of-bounds. Uh, you get five points out of easy baseline out-of-bounds plays. That shouldn't happen to good defensive veteran teams. Completely agree. Look, you know, in, in this... I don't know what the percentage of people that do this for a living, you know, they were picking this game, picked Boston. I would think, I'm guessing 80%. I did. Yeah. And, and I think they're, I think they're a better team. And, and you know, they weren't at full strength. I'm not going to use that as an excuse. So let's see if they get them in a playoff series or something like that. And, and Boston's at full strength. And you got seven games to win four. Like That's a little bit different scenario than, than what this was. But I was surprised – even without Porzingis, who is a difference maker defensively, I was just surprised at Boston's inability to stop them and yeah. and and how comfortable Halliburton was operating against Drew Holiday behind the three-point line. Like in space, he was he was there was no hesitation. He plays with a certainty about him that is so infectious for his team. You know, when they run out onto the court now, and this has been going on, you know, so far this year, but but after something like what happened last night. They believe now that they have the best player on the court. And, and what that does, and you can hear Miles Turner talking about it after the game, like what that does for their roster, uh, it, you cannot put, really put words on that or a price tag on that. That's what he has done to elevate the confidence of everybody on this team. Um, because 
he is, and it would be different if he was like an 18 and 12 guy. No, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a guy that if he has to, can get 40. If that's what it takes tonight, I'm capable of getting 40. But maybe other nights it's a 25 and 15 game. If that's what it takes, and I empower everybody. So the fact that he can do it either way gives them so much confidence and that he just did it against a team. Look, there aren't a lot of great defensive teams left anymore. Boston has the ability to be great at stretches in games. And they certainly tried to be last night, and they just didn't have an answer for Halliburton or really for anything Indiana was doing on that end of the floor. That would be my – you know, my concern about the Celtics, because I think they're going to look great in the regular season all year, just like they did last year. They're going to have a great offense. And at their best, you're going to look around and go like, how do you stop Tatum? How do you stop Porzingis? How do you stop the starting five? But I wonder, first of all, the tougher team last night was the Indiana Pacers, in my opinion. I just thought that they were tougher down the stretch. And I know that can be an overused phrase, but I think it really applied to this Pacers team. I was so impressed with the toughness they brought to that game. And then, you know, you talked about, we just talked about the defensive end. The offensive end to me, here's where I'm concerned. There's two things that win you a playoff series on offense. A team can't stop your best punch, and you have a great counter punch or other things you can go to if a team does load up to stop your punch. They have a great punch in their isolation game, the way they move the ball around five out and have all these guys that can attack. But as we saw last night, I do think you need to go to something else. And when we were, they were in the clutch, that's when you got the Jason Tatum step back three. That's when you got some of these ISO plays that – they are capable of making them, but you want to, in my opinion, you want a team that can say, okay, we need to go to our other action now. Let's go to our other thing. And I just, the Celtics last year didn't have it. And in this game, they didn't have another, you know, a secondary attack. I think that's a very fair point because it, there are times when you need to go to something else where you get, based on your move, when you get a slip and a slash and a cut and a right. dive and you pick up easy baskets that way, it, it's you pretty much know exactly what it's going to look like possession after possession. It's either going to be Brown or Tatum operating in a ball screen or operating in an ISO. And that's what you're going to get the whole way. And this is the first team, Indiana, that I have seen successfully stay with their discipline of not leaving shooters to go send extra, in some cases, unnecessary help into the paint when when those guys drive or they operate in a one-on-one mid-post area. They just didn't do it. Normally what happens is you can draw that up, you can talk about it, shoot around, and then guess what? First time, Hauser makes two threes in a row. You go, okay, forget it. Bet's off. Well, you know, right. we're, we're not going to do it. right? So so they stay – I mean, I'm sorry, the first time Tatum and Brown drive in and get layups, you go, okay, now we're going to – got to send help. we got to send help. And now Hauser gets a couple threes. They didn't overreact to Tatum and Brown scoring. They're like, that's right. fine. We're going to be okay. That's the other thing. Like, they – they stayed true with their confidence level, even though at halftime it wasn't looking good for them based on the speed of the game, what the possessions looked like, how Boston was playing them defensively. It didn't look good for Indiana. And yet they come out and they have so much confidence and ability in their style, and, and they, they, were, they got loose in the third quarter. And once they got loose, that game felt much more like a trading basket type of game. That's exactly what Indiana wants to get you to buy into. Boston did. And at the end of it, Indiana had more firepower down the stretch than Boston did, which is very surprising to me. But I'm giving Indiana all the credit in the world, man. That's a fun team. Uh, they, 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 they absolutely are going to put up a big number on you if you are not so committed for 48 minutes to guard them and run with them and cut with them and everything you need to communicate on ball screens or Halliburton. If you don't do that for stretches of games, 
man, can they put up a lot of points in a short period of time. Yeah. yeah. It was a great game. I think if the Pacers go on in the coming years to become one of the premier teams, is they're on a trajectory to be. I mean, right now they're a fun upstart, upset team. But if they go on to become a contending team in the coming years, I think we'll look back at this as a sort of uh, milestone. You know, the, the, if that first in-season tournament win where they got the Celtics and they outplayed them in the clutch, it'll be one of those games you kind of recall and say, there it was. Um, let's take our first break. There was another great game in the NBA. We're going to have to fly through. Um, the Pelicans beating the Kings for the third time this year. Did that reveal something about the Sacramento Kings' fatal flaw? We're going to talk about that as well as preview the games coming up tonight. Lakers, Suns, Bucks, and Knicks. All and more on the other side. NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back. And DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is celebrating with an unbeatable offer. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets for throwing down $5 on the NBA. Win or lose, it doesn't matter. You'll start the season with an instant dub. And with the parlays, you can now stack multiple bets together, including in the same game for an even sweeter payout. Basketball's more fun when you're in on the action, so download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code ALLNBA. New customers can get $200 in bonus bets instantly for betting just $5 only on DraftKings Sportsbook with pro promo code ALLNBA. The crown is yours. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY. Or text HOPE NY 467-369 and Connecticut help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas and a licensed partner, Gold Nugget Lake Charles, Louisiana. 21 older age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball. Terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions. Responsible gaming resources. All right, there was another game in the association last night in the in-season tournament. The Pelicans downed the Kings for the third time this season. The Kings stormed out of the gate in this one. You think, okay, maybe it's different this time. But then quarters two, three, and four happened. The um, the Kings in three matchups with the Pelicans this year, Legs, have a 124.7 defensive rating. That means they are not getting any stops. 124.7 would be the worst in the NBA by a wide margin. To me, that that was kind of the story in this one is that the Kings just don't we wonder about their defense to be to be go to the next level, not just a playoff team, but to go to the next level. They have to be a team that can get stops. I'm just ready to say it. They can't get stops against the Pelicans. They're not designed to. No, they couldn't. And it's particularly when you talk about Brandon Ingram and, you know, yeah. Brandon Ingram is one of those guys that he has mismatches a lot because of his length. And, and his ability to handle and elevate. And, he, and he, you know, he's got an incredible mid-range game. He makes a lot of shots with guys draped on him. They didn't have an answer for him at all. They didn't have an answer, honestly, for even what I think New Orleans, once they found their groove, what they were doing with, with ball screen. Um, they could go inside out at times if that's what they needed to do. They carved them up. And on the other end of the floor – you could sense that Sacramento, as they were continued to mount up, miss three after miss three, you could kind of sense frustration. And now you're starting yeah. to force the issue and you're trying to press too much. And, and they, they just never were able to make a sustained run that really threatened New Orleans. They had a great start. And then the bench of New Orleans turned that game around in the second half of the first quarter. I mean, you're down double digits and you make a couple defensive substitutions, and Alvarado and Najee Marshall come in, and they completely change the complexion of the game. Yes, and now you go, now at the end of the first quarter, it's a one-point game. 
that should have been a 10, 12 point lead for Sacramento at the end of the first quarter. And maybe, you know, things go differently. You feel different, but the momentum completely changed. So now you're going into the second quarter. New Orleans is saying to themselves, man, we survived that opening rush in that building. They, They can bury you where you don't recover. All right, we survived that. Now let's go execute offensively the way we're capable of against this team because we don't think they can stop us. And that's pretty much how the next three quarters went. And Sacramento just never really found any sort of sustained rhythm or a prolonged run. You know, they'd hit a couple of baskets and cut it to like nine, and then New Orleans would score again, a couple of baskets and stem the tide. It's kind of how the last three quarters went. And it came down to the fact that Sacramento could not string together stops against New Orleans the way that they needed to to make a legitimate run in a race with double-digit deficit. New Orleans was down 29 to 17, no, 32 to 17, with about four and a half minutes to go in the first quarter. So this was a monster. I mean, they basically doubled them up. And over the next 12 minutes, they've completely flipped that script. It wasn't just that they came back. It's that they came back, took a lead, and then extended that lead to an 11-point lead towards the end of the uh, the second quarter. And it was, one, it took the crowd out. That crowd was ready for this game. They were excited for this game. They were loud and into it during the first part of the first quarter. It took them out of it. And then it also, like you said, put, I think, a little bit of, we talked about toughness with the Pacers because the Pacers fell down, you know, 10 points in this game. And they had this toughness and resolve. I thought the Kings had, I don't want to say panic in them, but you could tell that the pressure started to get to them a little bit. And they're so reliant on their three-point shot that they started taking, I think, some forced ones. You know, they were they were playing a little bit too fast and loose on their shot selection in key moments when you, you knew, hey, you got to take advantage of this possession and get something, make them work. They would take some quick, tough shots. And I just thought the poise, you know, kind of went out from under them in, in that game. And then in the second half, the Pelicans, I thought, just controlled the things. When we talked about advantages, we talked about scoring inside. They controlled those things in this game in the second half to where the Kings could never rally back. Yeah, and every time you felt like that was the case. Like every time New Orleans needed something a little bit easier that wasn't a three-point shot, they could get it. And in, yeah. in a lot of cases, that was Ingram mid-range, but it was also Valanciunas, you know, getting drop-offs and yeah. stuff around the rim. Like every time you, you think you're in it, the crowd was trying so hard to 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 rally them, and it was just a series of like the crowd getting up, this crescendo, making all this noise, and then two buckets by the Pelicans, and then they'd be quiet again because they just never gave them belief. So. They got stuff that was easier when they had to have it. And by the way, all of this, despite the fact if you're talking about the Pelicans and getting easy points in the pain or beating a team up in that way, you're expecting – right? Williamson must have had a big impact in the game. I mean, I didn't <laughs> yeah. really notice Brian Williamson on the court too much. And actually, look, they win the game and he's not noticed. And some people might look at that and say, man, that's a great sign, huh? And I look at it a little differently. I look at it like – well, why isn't he noticed more? Because I want, I've talked to you about this on the air, off the air, talked to you about this. I, my biggest problem with Zion Williamson is he never looks like he's playing hard enough for sustained yep. stretches. He never runs the floor. And actually, the guys on Turner last night, I mentioned it you know, at halftime of the game. They said they had the sprint chart up. How many times is he in a dead sprint? They had it at one in the first half. And I, I that's my, always been my biggest complaint. He doesn't run ahead of the ball. He doesn't run to catch up to the ball. Yeah just kind of stays in that same constant speed. And last night it was very strange. He just didn't really look like he wanted to be the best player on the floor. He was, and they were winning, so he was kind of like content to do that. And most superstars are great players. Even if your team is playing well, guess what, man? You still want to put your stamp on this thing because that's right. who you are because you have so much pride. 
So that so I'm like a little, little bit more concerned by the mm. fact that Zion needs to look that way in a game of this magnitude than I am. Hey, they won despite the fact that he wasn't a real factor. Well, I'm feeling good about my Pelicans, and you know how we talked about this team a couple weeks ago, and we broke them down. And my read on them is, I think they have my favorite collection of role players, and in particular, wings in all the NBA. Yeah. Their players three through eleven to me are the best. I just have such questions about their one and two, Zion and, and Ingram. There are nights where they look like, okay, that's a great one-two punch. Those guys are are. are capable of leading a team. And then there's nights where you think, okay, neither one of them showed up, either literally didn't show up physically part of the game, or they just didn't play very hard. Last night, you got one out of two, and that was enough to get the win on the road. You got Ingram playing phenomenally, and you got yeah. Zion kind of kind of disappearing, and that was enough. But to me, this is the question I have. I, I agree that there's a concern, although I'm more encouraged than I am concerned with the Pelicans. But the concern is that I want to see 20, 30 games in a row where Ingram and Zion show up every night. Because Jokic shows up every night, LeBron shows up every night. You know, your Tatum brings it at least every night, whether whether it's productive or not. You're Giannis brings it every night for them to become Luka, a real team. Luka brings it every night, yeah, right. Yep, to become a real team, your top guys. It's not a weird ask to say they need to just show up. You know, twenty games in a row, and that's the question. Yeah, that is the question because I think you know, and and you saw it last night. Man, is this team deep? The, you know, these aren't just guys. They don't put guys out there that just fill minutes. You know, most yeah. teams, when you get into your, you know, if you had to play a 10-man rotation, you get down to 9 and 10 a lot of times. You know, you're just hoping, give me 16 minutes and and, and yeah. just, you know, basically try to keep your plus minus at zero. Like, you're not, yep. you're not really yep. out there for a specific purpose to go do your thing. I feel like everybody that plays for New Orleans is put on the court to go out there and make an impact in the way that they can. And they've 100%. got – Right, they've got they've got a depth of guys that do those kinds of things, maybe more than any team in the in the league, maybe certainly the West. So, and you saw that on display last night. You saw that, and and like I said, it's the fact that you could insert two defensive-minded role players first, it, basically the second half of the first quarter when you're getting smoked. I mean, the, the Kings were scoring every single trip down the floor, and you put in two guys. From an energy standpoint, a competitiveness standpoint, an, an enthusiasm standpoint, and yeah. flip it. And that's really what I was watching right before my eyes. It was amazing the ground that they covered in the last five minutes of the first quarter to get yourself even. And you sustain that gut punch at the start of the game that some teams don't recover from. So impressive. There's no other way to put it. Look, this is a team, with, with, and I've said it repeatedly with Zion Ingram and CJ McCollum, man. That's as all. That's as good as you need in this league for your top three offensive players. The question yep. is consistency, competitiveness, and then yeah. you know we have to find out managing the better teams in a series. Are you able to like make the kind of adjustments you're going to need to to be relevant? But there's no doubt based on this roster, this team is a threat to anybody in the Western yeah. Conference. Yeah, I, I strongly agree. And then, by the way, Trey Murphy last night, one of my favorite players. He's been injured, been on the shelf for a little bit. Comes in and gives you 16 points and was a plus 24 in his 30 minutes. He just was phenomenal. He looks like a Miguel Bridges type guy where he's 3 and D, right? Length, three-point shooting, and it's smart, knows how to move up ball. But then you watch him on nights like tonight, last night, and you're like, he is in that space again where he is good enough to be a little bit more than a role player and that's such a luxury to have because he's just be, he has to be a role player for you, but he's capable of even more than that. So 
they they're just so deep. They got so many guys that I absolutely love, um, and it was impressive. And then lastly, on the King side, you know, the Kings really do have a Nuggets esque model that they're going after, where they have length on the wing with some shooting. They've got De'Aaron Fox, and then you can invert and play outside with with Sabonis. But because Sabonis isn't as dynamic of an outside scorer, you know, jump shooter from the elbows, floater shots that Jokic is so great at, because of that, I don't know that you can copy their model of having a big, bulky four next to him. They have Harrison Barnes. Well, I think they might need a little more size. They looked small last night, and you need more size. But you couldn't put Aaron Gordon next to Sabonis. That's not enough spacing. So I think they have a weird structural problem where they're going to have to find a little bit more size, length, and defense at their four spot than what they have in Harrison Barnes, but it also has to bring shooting. That's a unicorn, you know. That's that's almost impossible yeah. to find. I think they're they're in a they're in a boat where they won't win on nights when they struggle from the three point line. Yeah, that's 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 as far as it's going to take them. As great as Fox is, um, Sabonis is just a workhorse, very consistent in his production, and Fox is elite. Despite that. At the end of the day, they, they've, they've got to shoot really well from the three-point line. And you look some of the other teams we think could win it. That's not necessarily the case. They can right. overcome nights. The championship-caliber teams can overcome nights when you don't shoot well from the three-point line because you get to the line or you've got another source of offense that operates inside of 18 feet that you can go to if you need to. These other championship-caliber teams have that, whether it's a Giannis or whether it's an Embiid or whether it's a Jokic, right? They have those types of weapons. Even a team like Phoenix – Ultimately, when they get Bradley Beal back, right, they're going to shoot a lot of threes, but they've got three of the best mid-range jump shooters in yeah. the league. Mid-range yeah. jump shooters are critical in the playoffs. So that's the thing about Sacramento. Yeah, I feel like it's going to be a little bit of feast or famine with their role players from the three-point line. And last night, uh, you know, they, they made the same number of threes, but they did not they did not shoot well. And they took a lot of threes that I thought were a little bit quick and rushed and felt pressed a little bit. And it was a, it was a source of their offense they were counting on they didn't get. Um, uh, right, we got to move on because we're running out of time here. We got to talk about the two games tonight because they are fantastic as well. The Knicks take on the Bucks. The Bucks are five point favorites. The Bucks beat the Knicks earlier this season on November third. We got the graphic right there. Brunson went for forty five points. Lillard went for thirty. The Knicks struggled a little bit from the floor in that one. The Knicks are 10 and 3 since that matchup, and the Bucs are 11 and 4. Both of them legs have had, I was looking at this because I was trying to see some trends from the two teams. Both of them have had really easy schedules. And they I was trying to figure out what's the most impressive Bucks win since that game. What's the most impressive Knicks game? And they're both like mediocre wins, you know, not that great. So I'm kind of curious. This is two teams who I think haven't really had their medal tested just quite yet. What do you see here? Let me let, let's just start with this one. Where is the Knicks' advantage? in this matchup? Uh, I think the Knicks advantage is, I think that this is a very physically tough team that you have to, you know, you have to be when you play against the Bucs. They're willing to put bodies in front of Giannis. They're going to commit to that. You're not typically going to see the Knicks get outworked. That's not the case. Normally when the Knicks struggle, it's because their offense let them down because RJ Barrett and Julius yep. Randle, they can be very inconsistent. And that, that will let them down at the end of the day. And typically after Knicks losses, in high-profile games, you're usually talking about Julius Randle, and he didn't play well offensively, or Barrett, yeah. or they didn't shoot well as a team. But they're not gonna—they're not gonna ever just let go of the rope. They're going to be in the fight, and physically, with the relentlessness of a Giannis Antetokounmpo, that's what it takes. So collectively, they have that. 
that's the medal you have to have when you play against the Bucs. Ultimately, it probably will come down to can those guys offer enough supplemental offense around Brunson. See, I don't think you saw the stat we just put up. The Knicks lose that game, Brunson had 45 points. That's a terrible formula for the Knicks if Jalen Brunson yeah. has to feel like he's got to get 40 to win. They're better off. He's getting 28 to 32, and he's, and he's in that 8 to 10 assist range. That means that means they operated much more efficiently offensively. Now, here's the good news for the Knicks. Julius Randle, over the last four games, seems like he has found now his yeah. rhythm a little bit better, right? He's now starting to have nice – I think it's basically four games in a row where he was 50% or above from the field after just having a horrific start to the season. He is now starting to find his way. And if that's the case, I expect this to be a very physical, tough game. Like, I don't think Milwaukee's running them out. I do think they're going to win the game because I think ultimately they, they just got elite-level players that are going to figure it out and solve it, you know, when they have to solve it. But I do think this is going to be lower scoring than what we saw last night, and I think the Knicks will be in the game. Unfortunately, I just don't think you can count on their guys offensively as much as you can the Bucks. Fred Katz at The Athletic had a phenomenal article over the weekend, I believe, or last couple of days here on the Knicks and some trends. I, I love this trend. There's two of them I like. One, Jalen Brunson is was leading the league in offensive fouls drawn on screens. He's really good at this. He's going to be put in the pick and roll a lot tonight, and he's just very good. And the, and the article actually went into the setup. I never thought about this, Legs, because I know guys, there's some guys in the league, Caruso, KCP, Brunson, who are good at sort of like, when it when a player sticks his butt out, they kind of run right into it and fly off and, and kind of flop or accentuate the contact. Well, Brunson was talking about how he sets up that action and how he really studies a player's tendencies on screens and then will set him up by going under a couple times and then go over and draw the foul. And I just thought it was so precise, the thought that went into it. And that could be a story tonight because he's going to be guarding a million pick and rolls. And then the other one I loved was Mitchell Robinson is blocking fewer shots than ever in his career by design because he had a foul problem and somebody got through to him, you know, coaching staff, teammates got through to him over the summer and said, Hey, you don't need to block. You just need to intimidate, go straight up, intimidate, make people think you're going to block. And his block rate is down, but his foul rate is way down and the defense is up. And I just thought those were really cool details about two things the Knicks are doing that are really helping them to become such impactful defensive team. Yeah, look, I'm glad that they're playing well coming into this, right? Because if, if the Knicks were like, you know, the Knicks yeah. were like four and six in their last ten, you're thinking, okay, the Bucs the Bucks could could run them off the floor. I think the fact that both teams are playing well right now, um, this is going to be a great game. And based on what we saw last night, I don't, I, neither one of those games went how I thought. I thought Boston yeah. was going to win the first game. I thought the Kings would would have the answer at home. I don't remember what you said. Did you pick the? Pelicans? We both. We both. I I, I copied you because I'm a coward. Okay. <laughs> I, somebody, somebody, I did something with pick the Pelicans. I got it right. I didn't see that yeah. coming at home. I thought that game was kind of a push, and I just gave the advantage to the Kings at home. I certainly thought Boston was a better team than Indiana. So, look, based on what you saw last night, because of the nature of what we have created here, who knows what's going to happen tonight. I do know this. One thing I am going to be looking forward to, if this is a close game and you get inside of four minutes and it's a one-possession game, very interested to see – how the Milwaukee Bucks run their offense late in the game. Because this is, to me, the reason you got Damian Lillard. And yeah. are they going to be able to execute in that way, away from Giannis at times, in those moments? Because I think they need to if they want to win a championship. 
if they want to get to the finals. So I'm hoping this is a close game so we can see that because that is what you brought him in for, to answer those moments. He's got an answer for anything he's going to see defensively because of his range and his finishing ability. Um, and he could go to the line, you know, shoot 90% for the line if you want to foul him in those situations. Massively takes pressure off of Giannis Antetokounmpo, and I want to see how that would play out in a close game of the first game that really has real magnitude for the Bucs this season. Yeah. I think another advantage that the uh, Knicks – well, actually, I shouldn't say another advantage. The Knicks like a grinded-out game. They're 29th in pace, and they like a physical game, offensive rebounds, and, and this that. The Bucks like a fast-paced game. They're fifth in pace, and they like to get up and down and score. And I'm just curious to see who controls the tempo tonight. It's difficult to control tempo. I think both teams are good at it. And I'm curious to see who kind of wins that one. Similar to what we talked about last night with the Pacers-Celtics. In the first half, it was Celtics. Second half, it was Pacers. I want to see who controls tempo tonight. If we go over to the other side, the Bucks' advantage, it's twofold. It's star power. The best two players in this game are probably on the Bucks' side. So you have that, and they both need to show up tonight. Um, and then getting to the line. I think this is a big part of it as well. As I just talked about how the Knicks have put this emphasis on not fouling and, and contesting shots and intimidating. Well, the Bucks are good at drawing contact, both in the pick and roll and obviously Giannis barreling to the basket. So the Bucks can secure this win in part tonight by getting Mitchell Robinson in foul trouble, something he's been good at this year but has bad at in the past. So I'm curious to see how that goes, how the game's officiated and how Milwaukee gets to the line. Here's what else I'm, I'm interested in saying because we didn't see it last night. I don't believe this is the first time. So, you know, in these three games to this point, two last night and then this game we're talking about where definitively the better team is at home. Mm-hmm. That we haven't seen yet because I think we all agree Boston is a better team than Indiana. They run a road. Yeah. I think New Orleans and Sacramento, I think there's a real debate there about who the better Comparable, team is. Yeah. yeah, kind of a coin toss. You can make great arguments for both. There's no question. We believe the Bucs are better, and they're at home in one of the best home court environments the league has had over the last several years. So let's see if that is like the combination of the two gives us a decisive victory on the part of the, of the Bucks. Because I think last night, you know, we, you're Boston, you're a better team, but you're going on the road in this wild environment with a bunch of guys that look like, they literally look like they were just so happy to be playing on that stage that I, I think that the adrenaline, actually affected them in a positive way and it helped them get stops and helped them make shots and and that surge they hit them with to close the game it was just a bunch of young guys like so happy to finally be playing a prominent game on a national stage bucks have been there a million times they're at home they're better let's see if they take care of business let's get these two quick ones in here before we move on best matchup for me this is dame versus brunson brunson's a big game player as much as dame is the better player brunson you know, he has some stones, man. I think that he's he's built for a game like this. So that's my best matchup. What do you have? I'm going to go with actually Giannis against their front line because I, I think it's him against all of those guys. And and you, you're going to have to you're going to have to use up fouls on him. You're going to have to make sure that you're committing bodies so he's not getting that stepping through those gaps and getting to yep. them, gutting you, gutting you on the glass and at the at the rim and finishing you with these easy plays. And that's going to take all hands on deck approach from their front line. So I really want to see if those guys are up for the task against Giannis and what you have to do physically, the relentlessness that he brings. Do you have an X factor? Quickly would be the X factor. I think you're going to have, you're going to have to get a big scoring night from somebody you don't expect. Right. I think that's, I always say that about playoff games. Like there has to be unaccounted for offense that comes yeah. to the fruition tonight, right? With both coaches are talking about the other team. 
about what they could expect. You kind of reasonably kind of know. And then somebody trumps that by because they come out, they give you this big game or even a burst of four threes or something like you didn't see coming. I think he's the guy that can provide that, particularly if either Barrett or Randall is not having a good night offensively, you better get another 20 from somewhere. He would be the guy I'd look at. And I think in particular from the three-point line, the loss that they had to Milwaukee early in the year was one of four games where they shot under 26% from three. And typically it's quickly, it's heart, it's Grimes. When all three of those guys have bad shooting nights, they might not have enough offense. So um, that's my X factor as well. Let's go to Suns-Lakers. Lakers are one-and-a-half-point favorites coming into this game. <laughs> and then the the uh, injury report, you're not going to believe this. LeBron James, questionable. Anthony Davis, questionable. Really probable. I mean, come on, those guys are all playing. Eric Gordon was questionable on the other side. Um, the Lakers beat the Suns earlier in this year, 100-95. to That was the second game of the year. I don't know how much you could read into to this. You look at the stats there. And then they beat him a second time uh, not too long ago, about a month ago. The highlight of this one, Bradley Beal played. So that tells you how long ago this was. Bradley Beal goes <laughs> for 24 points. I don't know how predictive either of these two games are, quite frankly. The Suns are a completely different team when they have Devin Booker and Kevin Durant both in the lineup, which they should have tonight. Um, let's just start with this. What's the Suns' advantage? Uh, the Suns' advantage is, is they don't have the Lakers. Don't, I don't think have a great matchup for Booker. I, I think yep. Booker, the way he's playing, the way he's playing right now, you know. And look, Durant is going to get the the higher level defensive caliber player on him, and he's going to get a lot of attention. Um, he's operating in a great place right now. But Booker, to me, is the difference maker right now between the two teams. Look, the Lakers could beat them in a different way if they if this game is a little bit slower and more physical, and LeBron and AD are both, you know, and especially AD, is really intent on doing damage in the paint and, and getting quality shots for themselves inside of 18 feet, the Lakers can really control your ability to run and you're taking them out of the net. It's going to be very difficult. Fouls, all that. It's hard for Phoenix. But I think Booker, the way he's playing right now, and I think that they don't have a great option to chase him and contest him and, and put the kind of length on him that they need. I think he's going to have an advantage going up against guys like D'Angelo Russell and Austin Reeves. I think he's going to be able to get loose and be the difference maker. I think Booker's going to absolutely put on a show in this game, and that's why I'm I'm giving an edge to the Suns. This was exactly my uh, big advantage. I just said Booker because I, I think that, one, the Lakers give up a lot of mid-range, as you talked about, and they just don't have defensive players to guard. Itorian Prince, maybe they throw at him, but they're – that's not going to impact Devin Booker. There's only a few people that can impact Devin Booker, and the Lakers do not have any of them. And they have a couple real big-time sieves in the backcourt there with D'Angelo Russell and Austin Reeves. I think Booker is going to have to feast tonight in that matchup. All right, what about the Lakers? What's their advantage? It's just, it's size and physicality, and they can play differently yep. than Phoenix because of LeBron backing guys down into the paint. Anthony Davis, you know, he's not going to be a guy that's going to kill you with drop steps and jump hooks. He's not going to live down there, but he will start there, catch the ball, turn face at an area of the floor at 15 feet, 18 feet. Very difficult to determine how you're supposed to double him when he's standing on that space of the floor. And if you don't, he can just operate by getting one, two dribbles where he wants and rising up and shooting over the top with really, really high quality, high percentage shots. So their ability to play differently than most teams in the league because of these two weapons that are just bigger than you, stronger than you, and able to get quality shots for themselves and play more efficiently, that's where their advantage comes. I think 
Very important the Lakers play from in front in this game. I think if the Lakers play from behind, their, yeah. their lack of consistent three-point shooting, it becomes more exaggerated. If you're playing from in the lead and you can continue to operate that way, Lakers are a problem. So that's what, that's what I'm looking for in this game. The Lakers' size versus yeah. the Suns' just flat-out raw scoring ability. That's what I had. Points in the paint, size advantage. Yeah, it's going to be the Suns. That's going to be the key matchup for them in every game they play, honestly. They did, yeah. They're just so deficient in that department. So almost most teams, but the Lakers in particular, who have the size with LeBron and Anthony Davis, Rui Hachimura, um, they have the horses there. Um, the best matchup for me is Katie and LeBron, just because anytime those guys match up, which is not very often, but every time, you know, you just want to see who is the star of the game tonight between those two guys. I mean, I think the star is going to be Devin Booker, but between the KD LeBron matchup, if one of those guys significantly outperforms the other, the, the, the odds tilt in that favor. Did you have a different best matchup tonight? I do. And I'm going to take a different approach on it because it's not traditional in the way you're describing it where people think these guys sure. are going mono, mono. No, I'm talking about Booker and AD. And here's my point with that. I know they're not going to guard each other a ton. Here's what right. I'm saying. If Devin Booker is not maybe the first name we're talking about after the game or tomorrow when we talk about these games, they're in trouble. Because I think KD and LeBron in different ways are going to negate each other. I think KD is going to have a bigger scoring night than LeBron, but LeBron just because of the way he controls the game. right? I think they're going to negate each other's impact. So then you go to the next guy. And if we're talking about Anthony Davis first, that's a problem for the Suns. If we're talking about Booker first, that's a problem for the Lakers. That That's really what I think this comes down to. Which of those two guys is the storyline from the game? Uh, and look, maybe Anthony Davis is the first guy we talk about because he looked lethargic. I don't know. Maybe that's the case, and that's bad for the Lakers, but that's not what I'm saying. It's more about who's who's the first guy you're going to talk about and break it down the game in a positive way. And if you get to either one of those guys first, I think that's the team that's going to win the game. By the way, Anthony Davis should have a favorable matchup. So he too should have like an, an opportunity to make a big impact on this one. We'll see if he actually does. All right, what about X Factor? Last one. D'Angelo Russell. I think it's the biggest X factor in the Ooh. game. He's playing better than he has at any time since he got to the Lakers. Um, and he's got the ability on nights when they need it. He can now go off a little bit, right, and string together shots and, and be – because he's very good ball screen and he's very good catch and shoot. So he can have these splashes in games where he is the guy for six minutes. He's the main storyline of the game. So I think for me – that's the biggest X factor. And if it's going to be countered, it's going to be countered by Eric Gordon. So maybe whichever of those two guys, you know, has a bigger night. Because I don't know where the Suns would be right now without Eric Gordon. With all these games good. missed by Neil and Booker yep. missing time and beginning of the year. Where would they be without Eric Gordon and how good he has been as a starter and as a professional scorer? So maybe this comes down to if all four of those top guys all play well, well, then maybe you bump down to the next guy. And that's Russell and Gordon. Yeah, I love that X factor. Um, do you have a prediction for tonight? Yeah, I'm going to take Phoenix, and I, I don't think I'm in the majority. It looks like a lot of people are favoring the Lakers. A lot of people are picking the Lakers because I think a lot of people view the Lakers more of a legitimate title threat because of the, the physicality and because of LeBron and how different AD can make things if he plays well and hard and is into it. Um, I'm picking the Suns right now because of the groove that Devin Booker is in. And I think he I think he goes off tonight. I think he has north of 35, and I think he does it shooting a high percentage from the field. And if that's the case, I don't know how you have enough defensively to deal with him and Durant on the same night. 
I'm taking Suns as well. I didn't say this before, but I'm taking Knicks tonight. So we're we're the same on the Suns Lakers game. Both taking the Suns, but I like the Knicks. I just I'm not sure I buy the the Bucks. They haven't played a very tough schedule, and tonight's going to be a dogfight. I'm so curious to see how it goes. But either way, we got such a good showing last night. You could see the NBA put their bigger names up. Suns Lakers, that's a bigger oh, name. Yeah. You know, there's bigger names there. And then Knicks, of course, the huge market. You got Giannis yeah. and Dame. They put that on Tuesday. Last night's game going up against Monday night football, so they're going up against football last night. But I look at it and I go, it's going to be hard for the games tonight to match what we saw last night. Those were such good ones, but you never know. Legs, a good couple of days. We're off tomorrow, but I look forward to these ones, and I look forward to reconvening on uh, Thursday to break down whatever happened tonight. Definitely. Get back with you on Thursday. Can't wait to watch these two tonight. Everybody thinks the chat was popping today, man. Lots of good takes. Everybody giving their predictions. It was a lot of fun. If you're listening to this, think about joining the show. We go live and we have the chat going. It's interactive. We like it. Do us a favor. Hit us the like button on the way out. We'll see you guys on Thursday. Like the mayor.